Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Mom on the Verge podcast, where I aim to help you improve your sense of joy, purpose, and meaning in this life. We will talk about a lot of different ways we can do this, but ultimately, we'll be working toward finding our way back home to ourselves and remembering that even in the most challenging times, peace is only a breath away. I am your host, Katie Farinas, a mom, nurse, and yogi on a mission to improve mental health and build community in our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is with a transformational women's empowerment coach, Deb Blum. Deb and I have so much in common that the moment we got on and started talking even before I hit record, I felt like we had known each other forever and that we were best friends. So this was a really, really fun conversation for me, and I think you're really going to love it. Um, Deb has been coaching women one-on-one for years, um, and she has now developed her own a signature program called The Whole Soul Way, and it empowers midlife women to shift from living according to others' expectations to intentionally living true to themselves. And it's about breaking free from fear and conditioning and external pressure and all the things that hold us back from experiencing the happiness and the deeply fulfilling relationships that we want to have in our lives, from really um, having inner peace and well-being no matter what is going on around us. And that's a lot of what we talked about. We talked about how life really teaches us to put armor around our hearts. And over the years from childhood through adolescence and young adulthood, we have experiences that can be painful and can teach us that it's not okay to be who we are. And so layer by layer, we start encasing our heart in armor until at some point, many of us recognize that we're not really feeling our emotions the way we think we probably should be. Life is good enough but we aren't feeling the peace and the joy and the passion and the love that we could be feeling. And sometimes we don't even feel the sadness or the anger or the fear the way we think we should be feeling it in the the levels in which we should be feeling it. We've kind of gotten to this place where our emotions, instead of experiencing the full range of emotions, we're just kind of hovering around the center. And sometimes that seems appealing, right? Because we, while we don't experience the really wonderful, blissful emotions, we also aren't fully experiencing the really negative emotions. But when we're living from that place, we're not really fully living. And that's what Deb and I talk about and how that impacts our relationship with ourselves and with all the people that we are close to in our lives, like our children and our partners and our friends and our family. Um, Deb and I also talk about how as we age, we just naturally change and we go from kind of accumulating our lives, whether it be accumulating knowledge and degrees to partners and children and homes, to getting to a place where we have accumulated everything that we think we should have accumulated, um, but still feeling like there's something missing. And what is that that's missing? And I think 
a lot of the times it's our passion and our purpose, and we can't find that unless we're connected to ourselves. So it, in my podcast subheading, it says finding your way back home to yourself. And Deb and I really talk a lot about what that means exactly. What does it mean to find your way home back to yourself? And how did we lose it in the first place? So this is a fascinating conversation. I could go on and on, but I'm just going to let you take a listen and tell me what you think. I'll be back at the end of the show so I can give you uh, your mindfulness exercise for this week. I hope you really enjoy the show. Please reach out to me. I love hearing from you. I love all your comments, questions. I truly enjoy engaging with my audience. So I'd really appreciate it if you send me a quick email um, or reach out to me on social media. All of my information is in the show notes as well as Deb's information is in the show notes. So take a listen. I hope you enjoy. I hope you get something out of this conversation. I love you so much. I will see you at the end of the show. Bye. All right. Hi, Deb. Welcome to the show. Hello. I am very excited about this conversation. I think you and I have a lot in common. We were just chatting just a tiny bit before we hit record. And I was like, no, just stop. Save it. Save it for the recording. (laughs) Because we could go endlessly, I'm sure. Um, But I always start with asking my guests just to talk a little bit about what they do, um, what brought them or led them to do what they do. uh, And, um, you know, just a little background information for the audience. Yeah. Oh, I am so glad to be here. So thanks for having me on your show. Um, well, I would say that why don't I start with what I'm passionate about and then maybe I can kind of back into it a little bit. So I'm, I'm really passionate about women coming home to themselves, just like you are and the journey of doing the inner work. And I, I believe that there's been for a very long time, I think that there's this stigma around doing inner work and then it's hard and it's, you know, I don't know, it's painful and I want to really destigmatize it and help people to see that it's really no different than taking a shower or, you know, personal hygiene or going to the gym or anything else. It's another way that we take care of ourselves, but it happens to be probably one of the most impactful things that we can be doing. And I really believe in particular with moms that we have a unique role or a unique um, opportunity to be able to be cycle breakers from generational patterns. And really, I mean, when you really think about it, we're literally birthing and creating or raising the future of humanity. I mean, this isn't like, (laughs) this is important work we do. And so while I don't work only with mothers, um, only maybe because now my children are older. So it's a little bit, I I've just expanded into new spaces. Um, but I have 19 and 21 year old boys and they're in college. And so I'm an empty nester, which has been really fun. Um, but what, what happened for me though, is that when my kids were little, they were about, well, actually why don't I just do a quick thing about, I used to be in tech and I used to be, uh, I was a a director in a large healthcare system and I got pregnant and got at a preemie and I ended up on bed rest and I never went back to work. Oh my gosh. Wow. I know. And I completely, and I never looked back. (laughs) I kind of knew it was a possibility. Like when my husband and I got married, we started living on one income just in case that we wanted to make that happen. And so we were, it was in the back of my mind, but my ideal would have been to work part-time, but back then they weren't willing to job share because I had too many employees, yada, yada, yada. So I said, okay, fine. 
I'm just not going back to work. <laughs> so I stayed home with my kids. And I, but I, I took every way of being in corporate America and I kind of put it toward being a mother. It wasn't so much that I, <laughs> it wasn't so much that I had high expectations for my children. It was that I had super high expectations for myself. And I was supposed to be like always getting it right, always on the perfect mother. And in a lot of ways, it was actually at that time, it was actually easy for me because I had, I was wearing the masks of, you know, I can get anything done. I can do anything. I can power through anything. I didn't even have access to my feelings. So it was like, yeah, it's all good. You know, like I'm going to give you an example. We moved from Connecticut to California when my son, I was pregnant and I had my 17 month old son and I just did it. I just did it. Now I recently moved and uh, from California, the family that we, the, the home that we raised our family in and moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. And I, it was one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever been through. Like it was actually hard. Oh. I went, I had so many feelings, so much grief. And so you might say, well, why would you want that? Wouldn't it be much easier just to be able to do things without emotions? But no, cause I wasn't alive, but I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I was awesome. I could get anything done. I could do anything. So so there, so then we fast forward to, um, my kids are like five, five and seven and I am something's going on inside of me and I have no idea what's going on. And I just feel like everything feels like it's kind of crumbling. I had a near divorce experience. I mean, like, like a thread away from getting a divorce. And fortunately my, um, my husband fought for us and we ended up in therapy. And fortunately we found a therapist who was a transpersonal therapist and actually got it, that it really wasn't what was going on between us as much as what was going on inside of me. Mm. Um, and I was a big projector, meaning like I, whatever I was feeling like my anger, my frustrations, my own stuff, I saw it in my husband. So I thought he was the problem. He's mm. to blame, you know, if he could just be romantic, more emotionally available, yada, 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 better listener, better communicator. Oh, I'm going to be better. Yeah. I'm going to be happier. I need to find a new man if he can't do that. You know, that's like the story that I had. Right. Well, the way that I got there though, was this, I realized, so I never knew that my kids were my awakeners until I've looked back. Almost everything I'm telling you is in retrospect, you know? And, but when I was raising my littles, they were, I was so authentic with them. I was silly, playful. My heart was wide open. I loved without any walls or bar or barriers. And, but my, I would notice this contrast. My husband would come home and I could be, if he was in a bad mood, I could get grumpy and I could be grumpy to him, but open with them. Mm -hmm. And I could be like, and I found myself in like, what, who, who is this person living this life? And then I would be with my friends and I was a massive people pleaser and I was totally conflict avoidant. And I'm like, how can I be this way with my children, this way with my husband and this way with my, my friends, like something's going on. And so I knew I was having some, something, I didn't have the words. Now I look back, I, I don't know, like maybe like a midlife awakening or spiritual awakening. That's what catalyzed me to be on the journey that I'm on right now. I decided that I was never going to go back to, I did do some consulting for a while, but I decided not to go back into corporate America. And I um, went and got certified as a health coach, then a life coach, and then a parent coach. And I was, a, I called myself an empowerment. I actually called myself many things over the years, but I was an empowerment and self-expression coach for women. And I just, you know, I just did coaching stuff. Right. But then one day, a couple of years ago, I sort of birthed this program as a result of all the things that I've been doing with women 
is called the Whole Soul Way. And it's a program that's more structured around really embodying <clears throat> this journey, <clears throat> excuse me, going in this journey home to ourselves, but like, what the heck does that mean? Right? Like <laughs> how do we really like do it? And even things like self-love and self-acceptance and all these things, they feel so that you, know, you can talk about them, but until you experience it, you don't know what it is. And to tell somebody to love themselves more, we're all going to have a different definition of that. You know, like it's going to look different so for some people that's like go to the gym more for some people it's deep, deep, like going into their trauma and, and healing. And some people it's anything in between and, and it's kind of all of it, but I feel like what I do is I take what's really difficult to explain in a, you know, on a social media post. And I make it really accessible through a six month program that I bring women through. So I've been doing it as live cohorts for the past couple of years. I no longer work with anyone one-on-one -on -one unless they join, go through my program. And I'm just right now launching a DIY version. So people can go self-paced because I really want it to be available to all women, not just women who have the money to pay for the more intense uh, program that I've been doing right. so far. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So like, there's, <laughs> there are so many things that you said in there that I'm like, Oh, I want to go back to that. Oh, I want to go back to that. So um, one of the things is that the synchronicities, I mean, synchronicities in life are just, uh, they're just wild. When you start noticing them, they're truly wild. I just was with a friend this weekend and we were literally, she's, she's in a rough space in her life. And she was literally just talking about this um, feeling of emotions and kind of like, she doesn't really necessarily feel a lot of emotions. And she's kind of like, but why, why do I even need to do that? That sounds painful and hard and <laughs> not worth it. Like I can just live in this middle ground and it's fine. And I was saying to her, but, oh, but the good stuff is so good. Like, I know that the bad stuff is also hard, but, but you, but it's worth the good stuff. You know what I mean? It's it's worth being able to feel the full range of emotions because of how much deeper and more beautiful and profound your life becomes when you can feel all these emotions, which I feel like when you, when you have a lot of trauma um, that you haven't dealt with it in my mind, like the vision that I always kind of like picture in my head is like your heart is encased it's encased with layers and layers and layers of steel basically that is protecting it and so maybe on a day-to-day -day basis you're not feeling terribly sad or angry or you're really not feeling anything you're feeling kind of numb um, yeah numb, right and she is going to kill me because i cannot remember this term i asked her to tell it to me a million times so i would remember it and i still can't remember the name of the term um but it basically was like this good enoughness like you're just like living in this like good enoughness um, and I think a lot of people live in that space because they are afraid of the hard stuff and they're so afraid of the hard stuff that it makes them want to live in the good enough. And then they never get to experience the really beautiful juiciness of life that like the all and the profound love and the openness and just Oh, like the really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, yes, that's, that's so interesting that this, we are having this, I'm, I'm going to like center this recording as soon as we uh, finish, finish talking. Um, but to take it all the way back, what, what is, what do you mean when you say finding your way back home to yourself? Because that has a really uh, specific, 
not specific, but like in my heart, I know what that means, but I do think it can be confusing to people who are, are not really in this work. And they're like, what do you mean when you say that? So what do you mean when you say that? Well, I, I want to tell you a funny thing first. So I, <laughs> I know this sounds really weird and woo woo because like to anyone who isn't woo woo and I'm much more woo woo now than, and some people think that's insulting. I don't actually think it is. I think it's just more like, you know, it's an, it's a, a way of identifying, like I'm kind of more spiritual and open to things like synchronicities and other things like that. But when I first had this experience, I was not at all thinking of anything particularly spiritual in my life, but I had the, this moment one time where I had two things that came into my head, like they were like knowings, like intuitive hit things. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. these two things. And one was I need to journey from my head to my heart. And I need to realize that I'm loved for who I am, not what I do. Mm. And it's not just you are loved for that. It was that I needed to realize it. And these is, these have really guided my journey. So in some ways, I think that the journey that we're talking about home to ourselves is the journey from our heads to our hearts. So I think that's part of it. I think it's this journey that we're oftentimes what happens is I think as children, we are, whether it doesn't matter, even if your parents tried really hard not to do this, like we live in a society and to some degree, what we learn is we learn to a combination of things. Like we learn to um, orient externally, right? Mm -hmm. So we orient toward our parents, like are our parents going to be upset with us. Are we acceptable to them? Because our survival depends on our parents, you know, love approval and being there for us. And so at some deep level, our survival brain knows that. And so we orient toward them. We also learn what's acceptable and not acceptable in our culture, in our family of origin with our friends. And so anything that is not acceptable, you know, like you need to be kind, loving, caring. You need to be strong. You need to be, you know, don't cry, whatever it is, all of these things we learn. So, you know, I put crying into the shadows. I, you know, I banish it out of my existence, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to put um, feeling big feelings, being whiny, being needy, um, being disrespectful, all of these things. And so then I take, I basically cut off from those. Those are like back here. Okay. I like to say that you cut off from them. I look at them as that you have a hole in you and you like, it's, I mean, it's a thing and you pull it out and it becomes a hole and then you put it in your backpack. And so not only do you feel empty, but you're also carrying around the burden of all of this, mm -hmm. all of the ways that we're using tons of energy to not be any of that. So anyway, we can go to that place later about why would I want to be those things? We could talk about that, but that's a separate conversation because what I think it is, is really just realizing that we've been disconnected from ourselves. We had to learn to disconnect from ourselves and also cut off from parts that are just part of humanity. Even if you don't want to you know, exhibit them in the world, there's still parts of who we are. We, we all can be whiny. We all can sometimes be disrespectful. We all can be sad and, and lonely and all these feelings. And so um, what I believe is it's actually the process of reclaiming my connection to all of who I am, reclaiming my connection to my heart, reclaiming to connection to my feelings and my needs and my um, even my moods. Yeah. And, and to who I am underneath who I needed, who I thought I needed to be in order to make everybody else comfortable and happy around me. So it's like really seeing and connecting to me in my wholeness and in my truth and in my, yeah, and like this fullness of who we are in this full expression of, as you, like you were talking about these emotions, like the full expression of my emotions, not the half, you know, half of who I am, the happy, friendly smiley. Yeah. You know, that person, 
um, now I realize it's much more of a mask and even my happiness, I would say I, I was happy, but did I actually feel happy? Like, right. did I feel happy? You know, there's a difference I between feel. like, I'm happy. Yeah. And then it's like, I feel happy. <laughs> Something yeah. different there that I, I didn't understand before. I didn't know what I was missing. And I think that's why it's also hard for people to do this work is because it's almost inconceivable. Like my life is good enough. My life was always good enough, but what was missing? I didn't know. How do you find what's missing? Yeah. How do you even articulate to a person that there's something more available when we've never, when we feel like either we never had it or we were so little when we had it that we don't remember it. Right. Right. And I do think that. I think that's absolutely true. But I also think that a lot of people, including myself, because I've I've also went through this. I mean, I went through a period where I was like, why don't I ever cry? Like, I don't cry when things are sad. I don't cry when I'm happy. I just never, ever cry. (laughs) That was not normal. Okay. (laughs) That's not, that is not healthy. I shouldn't say that's not normal. That is not healthy. Um, And now that I've gone through, I've gone through and my heart is so wide open. Now I cry at everything. So I'm not sure if it's good or bad, but (laughs) but it's because I can feel again. I think there was such a long period where I couldn't feel. Um, and so even though I would have said my life is good enough to, you know, objectively, like I have a good marriage and I have great kids and we have a home and we have jobs and we have like all the things, um, there was, there was something like there, there was something like talking to me that would be like, something's off. Something's not right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, but then you're busy, right? So you like push it out of your head and then you move on to the next thing that you need to do until the next time it kind of bubbles up and then you shove it back down. Um, yeah. Um, so I think people know, yeah, they just, they just don't know how to fix it. They don't know exactly what it is. Um, and I also think that when I say, for me, when I say coming back home to myself, it is being extremely comfortable in your own skin and feeling like you have a relationship with yourself that is like the, oh, you're, I think I can't hear you anymore. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. You were nodding. Maybe I just couldn't hear it. Um, for our listeners out there, we're having a little technological snafu today <laughs> and Deb is not coming through my speakers that I normally use. So hopefully this all comes out. Okay. Um, but yes, it's a relationship with yourself and a feeling very safe and comfortable with yourself and not needing that external validation. Like you are all the validation that you ever need and external validation is fantastic. And of course it feels good and that's wonderful, but it is it does not um, define who you are. Yeah. yeah. So well said. So well said, because that's, that's really what I believe too. It's like, I want to be in, I want to be at home in myself anywhere I am always. And to, to do that, we do need the, the, uh, the connection to self, which sometimes recently I've been using this concept of being tethered. Like, I think a lot of people feel untethered. They just feel like no matter what happens, they're always kind of, they're thrown off by everything that's happening in their lives. And to feel tethered, the way we feel tethered is within ourselves. Mm-hmm. It is the connection of myself to myself, which is also a little hard to understand. But when you get it, when you feel it, even yeah. if you just have a glimpse of feeling it, you know what that feels like. And then we, and and as you said, to feel safe enough inside that I'm no longer reliant on external validation. I, I can rest in my worth. I can feel good about myself no matter what's going on. 
And I can also experience the icing of the cake because when other people validate us, one thing I really believe is, you know, when you have all those holes in you, because you're not like you're like the way that I'm the metaphor I'm using. I think what happens is um, I watch a, a lot of women when they first would come to me, people would say nice things to them. They would compliment them and say loving, caring things, but they were like a colander. Mm-hmm. And it would just come yeah. right through it. Right. And so the minute they felt it for like a split second, they sometimes wouldn't even take the moment to receive it. But then once they even, even if they did take that moment, they received it and then it was, it was gone. They were insatiable. They needed more. Right. So when we're dependent on external validation, we actually don't feel good inside unless we're experiencing that. And what an amazing thing it, it is. It is when we have that relationship with ourselves, when we feel good inside, no matter what's happening around us. Yes. Yes. And that safety of also feeling like no matter what happens around us, not necessarily in the validation standpoint, but like life is tough and a lot of things come our way that are really difficult to, to handle and to move through. But if you have that, I call it grounded, what you're calling is tethered. I call grounded and I am very woo woo. And I'll just, I definitely self-identify as woo-woo. Um, <laughs> um, so I call it grounded, but, and I feel like it's this unshakable piece, internal piece. And yes, we all have emotions. And sometimes, you know, you're having a rough day, you're having a rough moment, but there's still this sense of knowing that you are okay. And that you're always okay. No matter what happens, you are safe in your, in yourself. And, um, it does, it does take, I think, feeling that a little bit to really, truly understand it. Yeah. But the good news is I do think you do get these little, um, glimpses, just like you feel that little calling, that soul calling that's saying, come home to yourself, come home to yourself. And you're like, what do you mean? You know, it just like we can feel that. I do think we start to start, start to notice things, that sense of safety, that sense of feeling grounded or tethered. That's why I invite people to always try to go for low hanging fruit on things because not to go to their worst, you know, trauma, because you're going to get benefits just, you know, by starting to do even the littlest things like putting your hand on your heart through the day and reminding yourself that you are with yourself. Like I invite people when you're driving in the car, just you're stopped at a stoplight, put your hand on your heart, take a breath and just say, I'm here and I'm with you. You may think that is the weirdest thing. I heard your episode about like walking out on the grass and things like that you would yes, not do. Hugging my tree. Hugging a tree, right? <laughs> and it's like, you know, you think it's weird, but like I, the way that I, it's, I'll give a, I'll share a story about this that I had heard about putting your hand on your heart and talking to yourself like in some book that I read that I, you know, kind of like was in the back of my mind, um, the concept of reparenting your inner child. I had heard about this, but this was a long time ago. I was still putting my kids to bed. So that's how long ago it was. And, um, so I was like, I, I remember that I had a family member who we had invited to come over for dinner and it was somebody who we had kind of this like Rocky relationship with. And she didn't respond. And I 
started making up a story that, you know, mm-hmm. she is upset with us. I was ruminating. What did I do? Did I do, did I say something wrong? What did I do? When was I with her last time? You know, that, I mean, she consumed so much energy in this time period of a Friday through, or like a Thursday through a Sunday. Okay. So Thursday is when we asked her probably to come over Saturday or something like that. And then I was not as good of a mother because I was totally distracted by it. I was internally feeling sick to my stomach. I was, I probably didn't do things like take good care of myself because in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in crisis, you know? So on um, Saturday night, I'm putting my son to bed and I am just anxious and I snuggle in with him and I put my hand to my heart and I said to myself, we're going to be okay no matter what. I'm with you. Now I am clueless on what I'm doing, but somehow I hear this and I think, okay, I'll give it a try. Right. I instantly, I feel better. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? You know, like what is going on? And so I keep doing it and I'm just in my head, just being like, we're okay. And I'm, I'm almost like weird. Like I'm not even connected to it. I'm like, we're going to be okay. We're okay. We're going to be okay. You know, I'm not even calm, but slowly I'm feeling better. What the heck? I go to sleep that night. I sleep like a baby. I am like, I wake up the next morning. I am fine. I'm good. No one, nothing changed in my outside circumstances. A few hours later, I get a message from her. It's like, oh, sorry. I was on a backpacking trip and we were out of, we we had no signal. I'm like, oh my God, I ruined my whole weekend. And it wasn't even true. You know, <laughs> that, oh my gosh, I love, love, love that story for so many reasons. First of all, I think it is so relatable. I think so many people, that whole, you know, experience of questioning what's going on, making stuff up in your head about this whole, you've got this whole story in your head when it turns out to be nothing, absolutely nothing. You, you know, you're anxious, you're worried, you're questioning yourself, you're, you know, not present in the moment with your family, your kids or whatever, because you're just in your head in a tornado of thoughts. Um, I think that is so relatable. I, I, I don't know a human out there who couldn't identify with that story. And then to say that you place your hand on your heart and start to say, we're going to be okay. I, I love that so much because it is something so simple and easy that people can do. And you're saying it from a standpoint, like I didn't even believe this, but I was so out of control that I had to just give it a shot because I didn't really know what else to do. And if people can learn to do that and just suspend, maybe this feels a little silly, but I'm going to, I'm going to suspend my, um, the word I'm looking for, my disbelief or my cynicism, and I'm just going (laughs) to try it. And it's amazing. It is amazing what it can do. Talking to yourself, using your name. I know, I know people are out there rolling their eyes, but if you're like, Katie, just take a deep breath. Katie, you are okay. Like it sounds ridiculous. I recognize this. Well, you know, I don't think it sounds ridiculous, but I get that another person can think that. Yes. yes, it really does work. It's, it's amazing. So that is a fantastic, fantastic example. Now going back. So when you said in the beginning, you're saying I was like this one person with my kids and I was with the one person with my husband and then this other person with my friends, where do you think that was stemming from? Like, did you, did you find out why you were so different with in each of these like silos of your life? Yeah. Well, by the way, I just want to say, I also love terms of endearment. So like my terms of endearment that I say to myself 
change and evolve. And so right now it's peanut butter pie. I have no idea why, but that's what I call myself. I'm like, oh, peanut butter pie. What's yeah. going on? Like, I have no idea where that comes from. But just like you would treat your child, right? Just like you would treat your, yeah. Exactly. In fact, I even say your hand is your adult, your inner adult, and your heart is your inner child. And so when you put your hand on your heart, you start to create this connection. Anyway, um, so where did it come from? Well, oh my God. Well, we might need about, you know, eight <laughs> hours, but let's go. Let me give you the really like the the surface. I, of course, I've done a lot of inquiry on it. Now, I don't believe you have to connect everything to everything. Like I don't, in fact, I, I think the episode I was listening to was about somatic experiencing and mm-hmm. And for me, I did a lot of somatic works. Like I had a coach who was a somatic, I'm not a somatic um, therapist, but um, I really genuinely believe that once you start going into the body, it it's, it's almost doesn't even serve you to try to connect it because you're just going to go into your head. Right? right. But I did enough cognitive work that I, I know where this stems from. So the, I would definitely say for my husband, it was probably because I was raised with two brothers. I worked in an the IT field where it was a highly male dominated field. I had my share of um, sexual assaults and abuse. And I believe that I decided no freaking man is ever going to control me. And I am the one in charge And I'm going to be the one that is like, you just, you can't hurt me. Now I had a little bit of a a mishmash of that in my life. So I kind of had this like strong, um, controlling, you do it the way that I want to do it. Um, I didn't have many feelings. I was just like, I could power through anything. I got it all done. I was the strong kind of matriarch of the family kind of thing. But there was this other way where I also could see where my husband's moods and things were kind of taking me down. So I see that there was, I wasn't, I wasn't all I thought I was, Mm -hmm. but, but what I believed I was doing was being tough and strong. And like, if you were in a bad mood, I was kind of in a bad mood almost to fight back. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you want to be out. Yeah. Okay. I can be that way. You know, like, so I was absolutely in this strong, strong woman energy. And that was such armor, so protective and totally the reason why I did not have the emotional connection I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I have had to learn to soften my walls and to drop, you know, to, to crack my armor up. And my kids showed me the cracks in my armor. And when I saw the cracks in my armor, that's when like the love started to come in. And I was like, whoa, wait, something else is available. Well, it's taken me a long time. I am definitely a slower learner than many people. I mean, some people like my clients in my program get in six months, what took me nine years to get, you know, <laughs> well, I'm like, I have you as a guide. It might, it might be partially that, you know, cause I'm actually te- teaching them something step-by-step, but still I'm like, but anyway, my, and I have a lot of room for growth on emotional, emotional availability. I still have a lot of room for growth. My friendships, I am positive that it was because I got bullied when I was in 10th grade and I feel like what I learned and, but it wasn't just that I had multiple times where I learned that when I was my true self, that was always when I got hurt. Mm. So if I was showing up and speaking what I really believed and felt, and I was being my silly, goofy, oblivious self, 
I always had a friend decide not to be friends with me anymore, or I got bullied and I got bullied severely. Like I was bullied for a year where it ended up that the people got arrested, the women got, the girls got arrested because they were, they threatened my life and they were like chasing me. (laughs) It was, it was a crazy time. And I was scared to death to be my true self. And, you know, when I really think, when I look back at the time when I was that time, when I had that midlife awakening period, when I was 39 years old, what actually I think triggered it all was that I was in school with my children and all of the moms in a group setting. And I really believe I worked in technology in some ways because I felt safer with men and I just loved being like, it was so much easier to be around men. And when I was there, I'm like, holy crap, I'm in with scary women who can hurt me and I am vulnerable. And I think that I was actually, even though I wasn't having friendship issues, I was there like, am I included? Oh my God, they didn't include my kid. Oh my gosh, like, do they not want to be friends with me? They ignored me, they this, they whatever. And I didn't know how to even connect to women other than by being on the PTA board and being doing, having business with them. I had no idea how to connect with women. And I think I got actually re-traumatized. Yeah. I really think so. I think that was a big piece of what catalyzed my spiral, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it then. It was actually almost two years into therapy that my therapist finally helped me to see that that was probably the, the point. But so there were, those were the reasons. I think those were the things. So I was with my husband. I'm like, I'm tough and you're the, you know, and I'm strong and you're not <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. even though he was a strong, successful business. I mean, he's a doctor, like there's all kinds of ways he's strong, yeah. but that's not what I saw. And with friendships, it was, I will, I will be exactly who you need to be. I will be a chameleon and I will be, and I basically was everything to them. And then when I came back, I needed no one. I wanted no one in my life. I needed to be alone so I could refuel and become me. I would have much rather be alone than be with friends because it was too much work. Yeah, to be that's exhausting having to be that chameleon yeah, and hide yourself all the time. It's always exhausting. Yeah. So I think, does that, do you feel like that answers the question? Yeah, yeah, like yeah they- absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I think that's um, very relatable to a lot of people listening. Even if they don't have those exact circumstances, they, I think that is, you know, people can really see themselves in your story. Um, and, and I, I mean, I can see myself in your story in a lot of ways. I mean, that the whole like moms and school thing, that's a, that's a thing for a lot of people, I think. <laughs> um, and having to feel like you have to, I mean, in my family of origin, it wasn't really okay to show negative emotions. You kind of got like reprimanded to show, oh, negative, yeah. show negative emotions. Um, so I learned to really put those away, um, and act like everything was okay all the time, even if it wasn't. And that is, um, really unhealthy. And, and it's where you start putting the armor around your heart. I also had bullying issues growing up more armor, um, didn't connect well with uh, my peers until I was in college, basically. Um, just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. I had a brother who had some, um, challenges growing up with, um, autism and ADHD and stuff. And he of course had 
a lot of social issues, but then he was my brother. So I was very protective of him. And so then I got pulled into that. So armor, 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 armor. Um, yeah. I, and you don't realize, I don't think at the time you realize that you're layer by layer by layer putting this armor on yourself until you get to the point where you're like, wow, I don't really feel anything. I mean, I don't really feel anything that bad, but I also don't feel anything that good. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And you know, it's, it's an adaptation, right? So I actually like to say to people, it's like incredibly resourceful of us because the, those years, these years, and, and really up until probably like 40, um, those years their their um, survival really matters. And so it's resourceful and adaptive to do this, Yeah, but it's also um, resourceful and necessary to remove the layers when we realize it, and I don't know if you've ever heard, heard this before, but there's this concept of first and half first and second half of life living. And that the first half of life living is really what does the world want from me? And the second mm -hmm. half of life living is what does my soul want from me? Okay. And in that first half, I think this is from Carl Jung. And if it's not from Carl Jung, exactly, it's been adapted over the years. And I've seen people talk about this, but there's the idea is that you actually have to adapt. You have to, you know, if you don't build some baseline of security and stability, it's actually hard to do this work. I know some people who do, but the truth, it's almost like a little, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we have to get our basic like food and shelter needs met. And then our, you know, our, I think it's like self-esteem needs or, you know, there's, I can't remember what it is, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Exactly that, what you're talking about. Yes. So to some degree, it is when we have enough safety that we can start to do this work. What I notice with a lot of people, it's either we are in a massive crisis and that cracks us open or we have some level of safety and security in our life and we're safe enough to open up to it. So I really do believe that those pieces are, you know, are necessary. Yeah. And I think to add on to that is, um, and I've read this somewhere too, and I don't remember where, but the first half of our life is all about uh, growing, right. And becoming the person we think that we should become or want to become. And it's about consumption, right? You're, you're not necessarily a material consumption that's part of it, but you know, you're getting um, an education and you're getting your career off the ground and you're finding your spouse and you're getting married and you're producing children and you're buying a house and you're doing all these, you know, culturally expected kind of things, mm -hmm. right? And then you get to the point where you've done all that, right? That you, that's done. You, you've consumed, you've become this person you thought you wanted to be. Yeah. And then you start looking around and you're like, well, is this what I want? <laughs> I've done all of I've done all of this to get here. And now it feels kind of empty. It feels kind of unfulfilling. And there has to be more to life. And also what I what I have found to be true, and I, I think I read this um somewhere too, is that your brain starts changing, your actual physiological brain starts changing yeah. and you get a little slower at like processing new information and your memory is not as good and all that kind of stuff, but you are so much better at teaching. And so this, this desire to give back starts kicking in this desire to helping the generation underneath of you and pulling them up and wisdom, you know, wisdom sharing and that kind of stuff starts kicking in, in that midlife time frame. So you're, you're really like physiologically primed to 
change your outlook on life, change your perspective on what life, what a good life looks like. Um, but that's, that takes time, right? Cause, cause all of a sudden it hits you and then you're like, well, I don't know, this is not what I was expecting. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I think it's a blessing that we get that call and some people will, I think you said this before, like some people will get that call, but then they'll suppress it. And then they might suppress it all the way till the end of their life. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. it's a choice. It's a choice. Yes. It is a choice. And, and I do believe that you, you can, you can ignore it. It's just, but it will be painful. And numbness is a funny thing because it actually is painful. Like you think numbness isn't, but you know, even when you have numbness, like in your fingertips or something, it actually hurts. Yeah. It's still kind of a weird thing. You can't feel the regular feeling you feel, but there's a way that it tingles a little and it hurts. Well, you know, I have women who have joined my program, the oldest woman right now, she's 68. And I do have to say it's, it's hard because when, when they start the they always feel that call that you talked about, but when they start in the program, there is this time where I think women will say, why didn't I know this before? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I, I wish I knew, like, I can't believe I'm 68 and I'm just learning this. And I'm like, well, some people never do. So I just want you to remember that, but I get it. Like, there's a point you're, we're like, why we want to wake up, you know, and waking up is like waking up to the aliveness and the vibrancy of life. And, you know, you mentioned before we talked about like this unshakable peace inside of us. And you also caveated that with like unshakable peace, but there's also, it's the, you can go through difficult things. You might still be feeling a lot of feelings to me. What I've come to see is the peace is in truth. Mm-hmm. It's oh, in truth, so right? Good. Yes. Yes. The peace is in truth. No matter what the truth is, even if the truth is really not what you want. <laughs> Even if it's a hard truth. Yeah. Peace is in the truth. Yes. And that, and I think truth might be wholeness, which is like, I'm not rejecting anything in my experience internally and externally. I am willing to see it as it is. Now, I don't know that we, anyone is seeing everything as it is because we, because we do have an unconscious mind and we don't know what's in it, you know, but to the best of my ability, I'm trying to keep trying to clean my lens by doing my inner work, you know, see by being able to be willing to see what is uncomfortable and what goes against what I think I want and all of that. And the more that I welcome truth, the more that I can feel like when someone shares truth with me, that is painful. It is true that the first thing I might feel is ouch. Right. Like the first thing I feel is, ah, yeah, not want to know that. You know, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And I'm embarrassed. And I feel a wave of shame. Yeah. I might feel a wave of, you know, whatever, you know, rejection, defensiveness. I might feel that. But once we really get past that, it is a relief to know truth. It is always really and truth inside. So that's why when when you said about the feelings too. If I'm resisting a part of what my experience is, then I'm not going to be in peace. I'm going to war with myself because I'm going to be like, I don't want to feel that. Keep that over there. And that part's like, no, 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 I want to be heard. And it's like, no, you can't be heard. That's warring inside of ourselves. Yes. So I feel like that's what peace is, is peace is my whole experience is present and the ability to feel contradictory emotions at the same time 
Yeah. We talk about this on our show all the time. Yes. Yes. That you can feel uh, sad and joyful at the same time. You can feel mad or angry and grateful at the same time. I know Uh, this idea that you can't be in like this whole idea of like fear and love are the two opposites and you can't have them the same. I mean, I kind of agree with that, but I also kind of agree that like, well, I don't know. Like I want to be able to dance with it all. I want to just dance with it all. You know, so when we moved here to where we're living now in Scottsdale, I, uh, last yesterday, I was outside with my husband and um, it was so beautiful and we were looking around, but I happened to have just like 10 minutes before that pulled up a video that was of my front my front porch at the house we were coming from, which was also really beautiful and really amazing. And it really kind of hit me. I was like, oh, I felt sad and some, you know, longing for that. But I came out, I was standing there with him and I was talking about this and I'm like, I have never felt so alive in my entire life as I'm feeling right now. I'm like feeling this elated feeling because I am feeling so much gratitude and so much like I see the beauty all around me and I'm so happy. Right. And I'm so excited and I'm also really sad and I'm yes. longing for what I used to have. And I'm like, how is it possible? But then you're <laughs> so grateful that you had what you had, even though you're sad that you don't have what you had anymore. Like it's yes. Totally. I don't. And I'm even grateful for feeling sad because I used to never feel sad. So now right. I'm grateful for, fe- I remember yeah. the first time that I felt tremendous sadness and I got on the ground, on the floor and I was sobbing and my husband comes in and he's like, what's wrong? Then I'm like, I don't know what's wrong, but I feel so sad, but I'm also so happy that I feel so sad. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like actually feeling tears from it right now. I could literally feel tears from feeling the memory of that moment in time when I felt the depths of sadness and the joy for feeling sad. Yes, because we're we're meant to have all these feelings. Yes. We are meant to feel all all these feelings, and we know we're meant to feel them. Yes. and so we know that something's missing when we're not feeling all of those feelings. And when you start doing this, I mean, I, I'll say from my personal experience, but you work with a lot of women, so you can tell me their experience. But when it, you start doing all this internal work and you start feeling all these feelings and you're feeling all the great feelings, but you're also feeling all the really tough feelings, you would think that could um, be hard on your relationships maybe because now instead of being this kind of steady ship, you're kind of up and down. There's a lot more variation in how you're feeling from day to day, from moment to moment. But I have found personally that it cracks your relationships wide open in the best possible way. It is so healing to your relationships because you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore that people are going to find out your secret, which is that you're not feeling any feelings and you're afraid to feel feelings and you don't even know what you don't know. You know, you can just be like, here I am. And It is so, it is healing to your marriage, your relationship with your children, your family, your friends, strangers. I mean, it is, it's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, for, uh, there are several things that one thing uh, I do have women who come in, who also feel a lot of feelings, but they often don't share them with other people because they have a different side of it, which is they got shamed for that. They have these big feelings. And so then they think that they're almost dangerous, like, or that they're too needy or people are going to think they're too much, which I struggle with the too much thing too, just slightly different. But when 
I think the two things that people are most afraid of when it comes to really going into their feelings, because a lot of people also have surface level feelings, right? Frustration, anger, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, like even sadness, but it's maybe sad for you. I feel a lot of sadness for you and what like the world is going through and for people who are struggling. And there's a lot of those things, but like, have you actually felt these levels of compassion, sadness, love, you know, connection for yourself? Probably not. The two things they're going to consume me. And it's Mm -hmm. going to disrupt my relationships. Those are the two primary things I see happening. And the, what I notice about the, um, the consuming us is it rarely does because usually when we fully feel an emotion, it kind of is like a a wave and it comes through us, but it's the resistance of the emotion that usually keeps us stuck in it. So that's one thing. And then the feelings for the relationships. I mean, uh, yeah, because I think that when we, when we try to meet each other in our armor, what happens is we are always disappointed in how the other person shows up because if they feel our armor, they're more likely to show up with their armor. And so we're just kind of connecting from our guarding rather than from our vulnerability. And so when we feel that inner safety and we start to feel brave enough to dip our toe into what it would be like to not come in strong, but to come in soft and you still can have your opinions and your, your, you're probably going to have a, a much more solid understanding of who you are and what you need and what you want. But when we come in with the feelings that we're feeling in the experience, rather than the judgments and the blame and the, you know, all the other things were, or the decisions we've made or whatever, but we come in just open and I'm not always good about this. And, you know, the prop, the challenge is you can be busy in your life. And sometimes you just do the old pattern of you turn to the person and you say like, whatever, you know, why are you doing that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and by the way, we don't have to be perfect with this, right? We need, need to be perfect. We, we just, there's a lot of room in our relationships for us to be imperfect. But when we really are, when we're longing for connection, it's, it requires us, I think, to take a lot of risk. We have to take emotional risk to say, well, I'm going to be the one that shows up open enough. And so speaking to what you're saying, when I share from my heart, almost every time the other person does too, they do too. They, it, it does open them up. It's like someone needs to be the brave one to take the first step toward vulnerability. And then when we do most people, they might be clunky and not perfect. And they might not do it the way you really wanted them to, But I had a story that, you know, nobody could be there for me. Nobody could hold my pain, but I didn't share my pain. I showed, I shared my anger or my frustration or my irritation or my, my like opinion. Right. But I didn't. And I shared my thoughts, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I didn't share my pain. So how could anyone be there? I actually genuinely believe that the amount of emotional depth we can have in a relationship is, is directly in proportion to the amount of emotional closeness and depth we have with ourselves. So if I wasn't in connection with myself, I wasn't allowing myself to feel Mm -hmm. my pain. How could I ever really expect someone else to be able to hold my pain? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got, I, Poetic. It's the way you said it is beautiful and it is so true. And if we, we come back to that coming home to ourselves and feeling safe in ourselves, it makes it so much easier to be vulnerable, to take off the armor, to show up open wide and take the risk that the other person maybe won't, 
But most of the time they will because they want that connection too. Everybody wants that connection, even if they don't know it, even if they're not willing to say it, even if they don't, you know, recognize it or have any experience with it. It is in our soul. It is in our, it's our birthright to want that connection. And so the first, you know, person being brave enough to do that allows, gives that other person permission to take their armor off. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and, and they feel that safety too. They feel exactly. They feel safe because you are being vulnerable, and then that allows them to feel safe. But but it feels safe for the first person to be vulnerable because they're safe in themselves, and they know that no matter what that other person's response, they may have a preference for how they would like that person to respond. But even if they don't respond in the way that they would prefer, they know they're still okay. And it gives them the confidence to be able to do that. So it always starts with our relationship with ourself first. It's, yeah. it's inward I, out. I totally agree. And I one of the things that I think is very, very difficult. Well, there are two things I think are really difficult, actually. The one that I was just going to comment on, but the other one that's been kind of wanting to be spoken here is um, one is that I think we often wish for someone else to do it. So for me, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I was actually mad at my husband that he couldn't do what I wanted. And I was like longing, like, I want you to be able to be emotionally available so you can draw it out of me. I wanted him to draw it out of me. And so I think we have to almost let go of the idea of anyone should do it first. Whoever is doing it, then that's the one that has to do it first. If it matters to me, then I have to be the one that do it, does it first. If my husband wasn't, it wasn't even on his radar screen. How could I expect him to do this thing that is so important to me? Yeah. But that I want him to do it. Cause I, I want, like, I used to say like, unfortunately we're the blind leading the blind in this. And so <laughs> I, I was the one like waking up and getting my eyesight and yeah. my heart sight before he was. So I did have to lead that. And a lot of women are just like, I don't want to have to lead it. I want him to lead it. I want him to be the one. And I understand that immensely because that was my deepest pain was I was mad at him that he wasn't able to do for me what I really wanted. But when I got over that and I grieved the knight in shining armor that was going to come in and save me, when I grieved that and I let it go, then I was able to step into my, my really into being the leader of yeah. what I want and the leader of my own life, which then became the leader of this marriage that has m- much more emotional depth in it. Yes, absolutely. I think our, our, the culture, this romance culture, this knight in shining armor, and one person can, you know, fulfill all of your emotional needs. And it's, it's just ridiculous. It's such a fallacy that I think so many people have bought into because it's so ingrained in our culture, but also when you start doing it, even if you're doing it just for yourself, or you should be doing it just for yourself, quite honestly. You're doing it just for yourself. It's so fantastic. It feels so good. The growth is so amazing that the byproduct is now you're having these better relationships, right? It's the byproduct. It's not like I'm going to do this so that I can be the leader so I can fix my husband. It is, I'm doing this for me and it's all about my own growth and my own awakening and my own spiritual journey and the kind of like it's like contagious it's like a virus it spreads but in a good way it's a good virus it's a good virus yeah (laughs) it's just like this this like natural outflow or natural side effect of of this experience is that 
you're right. going to be able to be more open and vulnerable and connect it to the people around you. Um, and that's a, that winds up being this like really beautiful cherry on top to the true Im most important piece, which is the relationship with yourself. Yes. I say it's the foundation for all other relationships and it isn't, and, and, and it, right. Cause you could use it as a manipulative tool that you're like, well, I'm going to do this. And now I know this better. I mean, I tried to, I tried controlling my husband through the whole thing. I tried. What wife hasn't? No. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> what wife hasn't? Right. Exactly. Right. And I did all, I wanted to, you know, like if I'm changing, you should be changing too. all of this stuff. And it wasn't really until I just deeply embodied it for myself. As you said, it's like, I became I became love, but I'm becoming love. I'm, I, I'm, I became love. <laughs> I wish I had I've fully become love, but I, that's what I was, I'm looking at is like, how can I be more love? And then the more that I'm more open, the more that my heart is more open, it just does. It naturally changes things. The thing that really makes it the hardest, I think in, for almost all of us is that we do have that part of us that is defensive, that it, I call it the inner protector. And because she comes up pretty loud it's, I, that's the first thing I teach is how to see her as a part of us mm -hmm. and to love her because we have to love the guard inside of us because she's been doing hard work for us. And she, yes, she's armored us up and you might think, oh, but it's why I don't have what I want. Yep. But it's also what kept you safe and, or you thought kept you safe and alive and surviving mm -hmm. all these things in life. And now you just, we haven't, I believe eventually we are going to teach, we are going to teach people how to do this from a younger age and parents are going to create an environment for their children so that children no longer have to detach from themselves. They can keep a secure attachment to themselves. I believe that is possible. I believe it in my, in my deep, in my being, whether it's going to happen in the next several generations or not, probably not. But man, the change that we have or the power we have to affect change through being the change inside of us, through parenting, through marriage, through friendship, through community, and then the ripple out. I just believe it's the fastest path. I call it inside out activism because I believe it's the, it's the path to create change without causing harm. Because yeah. I think most everything we do from the mind that we think is going to be the solution for other people is really getting into other people's business. We don't really know their life and their path. And it's oftentimes this projection of fixing and helping. And then we have a ton of unintended consequences and we end up chasing it around. I believe if each of us would do the healing and the inner work and come back and connect to ourselves and be our authentically expressed, like individuated soul in this world. And we all touched each other from that place of wholeness. I think that we could magically change the world in a generation. Uh, I, yes, I a hundred percent agree. And it's a huge motivation for this podcast because, you know, as mothers, we have such an impact on our children and the way that they see the world and they see, and the way they see themselves. And the more healing we can do of ourselves the more we can parent from that place, that healed place and help our children to stay connected to themselves and not start layering up the armor. Um, and yes, it's, it's, it is the, I think it is the 
fastest and most important way that we can change our society. And that ripple effect is huge. And and I agree, it's 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 gonna take time. I don't know that this is gonna happen even in my lifetime. I don't know, you know, because change is slow and this is hard work, but but it is so worth it. And you know, it's it's amazing how the more you talk about things, the more it becomes a conversation that people are having in the pickup line at school or with their coworkers or, and their friends and, you know, what, wherever, you know, it keeps rippling out. And then before you know it, I feel like it's like a, something where it gains momentum. You know, it, it starts out slow and there's a little bit here, a little bit there, but it snowballs. And before you know it, it's getting larger and larger and larger and spreading further and further and further. So that's a big mission of this show. So I appreciate that you, you know, you saying that and having that same, same philosophy. Oh yeah. And even if you are a person who's more maybe of an introvert and doesn't ever plan to, to speak about this to anybody, I really believe that that wholeness is a, it's also intern it's a, it's an internal experience and like there's a, a a way that we become just different in the way we walk the world and then also if we are all not if but like we're all energetic beings so there's a way that my energy and the way that i be will affect other people without me having to say one word I'm we true. just radiate a different vibrant you know a, 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 vibration. yeah vibration and and then of course, if we're raising our children, who knows what children we're raising, who knows what their, you know, what their purpose is in the world. So we don't, I, cause I do think that there are many people who want to make a difference in the world and they are feeling guilty that they're maybe not able to go out and do activist work in the world or, and they're never going to, but then they feel like they're not doing anything. And then I think, gosh, you know, I think we're doing the most powerful, profound work by doing this work, this inner work. And I want women to feel that that's good enough. Like that's not good enough. That's, that's it's the pinnacle. In my it own is. opinion, it's the pinnacle, it's you know, the pinnacle. and we are, you know, we all come to this planet, you know, in this lifetime with certain skills and talents and, um, you know, things that we're just naturally good at, right? And or we're naturally drawn to because they interest us. And some people are going to be activists and some people are going to be doctors mm. and some people are going to be plumbers. And whatever it is that is your calling that you feel like your gifts or talents, where they lie, if you come to that space from wholeness, from love, from steady, you know, high vibration, then you are doing what you are meant to do in this world. Yes. And you yeah. don't need to carry any guilt with you, even though there are really tough things going on in the world. And, but the, but not everyone is meant to deal with those tough things. You can still, you know, pray for people, you can meditate on it, but maybe it's not your particular job in this world to be the person solving that particular problem. You have a different job in this world, solving a different problem, but if the energy that you carry impacts the entire world. Yeah. And there's plenty of studies on this. There's, I mean, there's scientific evidence that proves that people's energy is, it's non-local. So your energy impacts people that you will never actually physically be in contact with. I know. Mind blowing, right? It is really, it is mind blowing, but I don't, I do believe the world has gotten smaller and I can see that happening more. Like, you know, I remember one time I was my mom who was across the country 
was feeling something about something. I don't remember what it was. And I picked up the phone and I called her and she was literally what she was feeling. And so some of it's because we're connected, you know, I mean, think moms and daughters yeah. sometimes are our children, but, um, but I also think, I mean, um, I, I always say to people who don't understand this or don't believe this, I say, well, what about like when you walk into a room and somebody is in something just happened and someone's either like really angry or really hurting and nobody has to say a word, but you feel what they feel, what they're feeling that take that, but take that on the bigger scale. Right. And that we all are feeling each other. That's why, like, I can even feel it in someone driving. Like I could feel if someone, you know, cuts me off and they're kind of being angry or if they're not, I can actually feel that. And there's a difference in the way that they are. And I'm not even close to them. I'm protected by my car. Right. I think it's so true. And yes, there are studies on it. And I think we all probably can give examples of times when we actually felt it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think we all know it intuitively that it's true, but it's really cool to see the data on it. I'm, I'm like a little science geek too. So, um, (laughs) um, so I love, I love when science validates like what we kind of intuitively know. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you. I I think we could talk for another two hours, but (laughs) is there something that we didn't cover that you, you want to make sure we cover before we get off? No. No, well, the one thing I would say is that when people think about a relationship with themselves, sometimes that feels nebulous. And so I often offer like three paths for that. Uh, well, I have for a, a brain path for people, which is like your prefrontal cortex is your adult and your amygdala is your protector or your ego defense mechanism. And your limbic brain up here is your emotional center, which is your inner child. And you're kind of your wounded inner child is what I would say. And so some people like that, but I also talk about it from the place of um, oftentimes as a parent, when we step in and adopt ourselves as another child, we can do this thing where we're reparenting ourselves. We pick up where our parents left off and we provide to ourselves the, um, the things that we didn't receive. We fulfill those unmet childhood needs for ourselves. That's my favorite way because it's so easy for moms to do it because we know what it's like to like hold a newborn and to hold that little crying toddler and even to hold a teenager who allows us in, you know, and we know that. But the two other ones are, I think, becoming your best friend because most everybody knows how to treat a friend really well and how to be there for a friend. And so treating yourself that way and making sure that when you speak to yourself, you aren't, you know, you're not saying things you would never say to someone else. So trying to be careful there. And then the thing that I think saved my marriage was when I decided to marry myself first. Mm. And that really speaks to what you're talking about, about that we do this inner work for ourselves. And then it ripples out because I had to marry myself first, because if I was married to my husband first, I continued to get too caught up in what I was supposed to be doing, my role and all of that. So I found that if I was married to myself first and I made this commitment to me to be the best me I can be, to stand in my by my own integrity, then I it was easy for me to do it in the world. And so if anyone's looking for kind of different ways to look at how this, how we do this, like connect to ourselves, building a relationship with ourselves, I think those are some of the different angles to take on it. Those are great. I love all three of those. I, lo- I really love the idea of adopting yourself as your, you know, next child. And because we can, you know, in that moment, we can really think about our own child and think, well, how, if this was happening to my child, how would I respond? 
Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, that's how I'm going to respond to myself. And that, that one little shift I think is, um, it's life-changing. It really is. And when you think about the way, like when I like to even go back and forth with like, if I'm talking to my child with loving words, I will try to, in my head, remind myself that's me talking to me. Mm -hmm. So I get like a double, you know, the double effect of it. Or if I'm snuggling with my kids on the couch and they're both in my arms that I would remind myself that I'm also being held. Yes. So you don't, you can, as a parent, it's beautiful because you get to benefit from what you're already doing and you just kind of like tweak it in your mind to be like, this is also me to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Deb. Um, Mm -hmm. I will put all your contact information in the show notes where everybody can find you. Um, But if you want to just tell everybody right now, and then I'll also put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, so you can find me at the whole And I'm, if you go in there, you can find my program and you could find all the other things, but I am on TikTok and Facebook and a little bit on Instagram and YouTube. So you could find me in a lot of places at Deb Blum. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And like I said, I'll put all that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much. Um, this was fantastic. And um, I'm so glad we had the opportunity to have this conversation. It's one of the best parts of podcasting is just, just being able to talk to people like you. So thank you for willing to come on and and do it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It was wonderful. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. I saw a lot of myself in the things that we talked about, and I have a feeling a lot of you guys will feel the same. Um, So a lot of what our conversation circled around was this idea of armor around the heart and not being able to really feel our emotions because we're just guarded all the time. We're protected all the time because of the things that have happened to us in our past that told us it wasn't safe to be who we were. And what Deb and I talked a lot about is that the really beautiful parts of life come from being able to feel the emotions, the good ones, the bad ones, and everything in between. Um, And in order to do that, we need to feel safe. We need to feel safe in our bodies. We need to feel grounded, tethered is I think the word that she used. Um, And we need to feel like we're okay exactly as we are. So for this week's mindfulness exercise, I'm going to invite you to do yet another thing that may feel a little awkward and silly in the beginning, but I encourage you to just give it a try because none of these things are ever harmful, right? They, they can't hurt you. They can make you feel maybe a little funny or awkward or silly, but they also have the potential to change your life in really meaningful ways. So The one that I'm inviting you to do this week, we talked about in the show, it is talking to yourself the way that you would speak to your child. So, you know, if you encounter a situation where you're feeling upset, angry, anxious, scared, I want you to think about your child, bring your child's face to mind, see them in your head and think about how you would respond to them. And then I want you to put your hand on your heart and take a big, deep breath and let it out. And then speak words to yourself using your first name. 
that you would speak to your child who is in that same situation, feeling those same emotions. And just stay with yourself, just the way you would stay with your child, right? You would hold your child, maybe rock them a little bit, give them a kiss on the head, right? You would stay with them until that emotion passed. So stay with yourself, keep talking to yourself, maybe rub your um, chest over your heart in circular motions, maybe pat yourself a little bit on the chest, maybe um, hug yourself, you know, wrapping your arms around yourself. Um, Do whatever intuitively comes to you from a physical standpoint that would feel good to you. And just say, if it were me, Katie, you're safe. Katie, I'm here with you. Katie, there's nothing that I will let harm you. Katie, you're perfect just the way you are, right? Whatever phrases or sentences come up that feel like this is what I would say to my baby in this situation, you're going to mother yourself and say them to yourself. So I invite you to try that. As always, I love feedback, so please let me know if you did it and how it worked out for you and um, pass it along, right? Maybe somebody else could use that as well. You can also think about how you would speak to a friend. That's another way of thinking about it because I have had so many wonderful women in my life who have been so loving and supportive to me when I'm having a really hard time, but I hear the way that they speak to themselves And it is not the same way that they're speaking to me. So even if you want to think about it as you're being your own friend and you're speaking to yourself as you would speak to a close friend, it's another way of doing it if that makes you feel more comfortable. So give it a try. Let me know. And as always, I will go into a lot more detail about all of these topics in my newsletter. So if you haven't signed up, please do. The link is in the show notes, also in my bio of my um. Instagram and Facebook pages. And um, if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll also receive any other emails that I send out related to the show or any of my offerings. So I encourage you to do that, stay in touch. And um, I love your feedback as always. So please um, email me and let me know what's going on. All right. Thanks guys. Have a great week. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, I ask that you please like the show, follow, subscribe, or share. The way that podcasts work is the more people that do one of those things, the more likely it is that when someone's looking for a podcast to listen to, our show will pop up for them. I started this podcast because I really see there's a great need in our world for people to feel more peace, joy, love, and acceptance in their lives. And I think we can do that when we have a greater sense of self-awareness. We could become conscious creators of our own lives. And I'm seeking to do that for as many people as possible. So if you could help me by liking, sharing, or subscribing to the show, I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully someone hears a conversation that changes their life. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Much love.